Hi everybody, I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies, and there is a terrific movie out there now called The Sisters Brothers. I know what you're thinking, you know, how can that be? What is this movie? What does it feel like? I'm here to tell you that it's a really, really good movie, and my guest today, John C. Riley, who's always good, <laughs> even raises the bar on you. So congratulations, wow. John. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. really appreciate that. I'm really proud of this one. It was a labor of love. We've been working on it for like seven years now. Since <laughs> really? My, yeah, my wife and I got the rights to this book seven years ago, and we're the ones that approached Jacques Odiard, the director, mm -hmm. and we kind of like put, put it together initially, and then Jacques took over and made this beautiful film out of it. I think it's so great that you have this Western property, and you say, I'm going to find a French director. Yeah, who's exactly. never done anything like a western? Well, and I think what because you're a producer. On yeah, this exactly. As well. My wife and I are both I'm producers. producers. Mm -hmm. Let's have him do it. Well, if you know about the West of 1851, it was a very multicultural place, actually. Unlike a lot of the westerns we've seen about the West, where it's a, a lot of white guys chasing Indians around on horses. Uh, in 1851, in San Francisco anyway, it was a, it was, people were just pouring in there from all over the world. So it was like this Tower of Babel of different languages and different cultures all smashing together there in Northern California. So at first, yes, you know, no Frenchman's ever directed a Western before. I think there was one Frenchman who did it in French <laughs> in the 1920s. Other than that, Jacques is the only one. But, you know, at what first seems like a counterintuitive idea actually really suits the material really well and we wanted to have like an objective point of view about the time period and not get stuck in some of the cliches and nostalgia that we as Americans have from we westerns mm -hmm. you know well you did it you know thanks but it thanks. took seven years Jack did it Jack did it <laughs> but yeah we helped for sure he's Jack so explain who you and Joaquin Phoenix are actually playing as the sisters brothers who are these guys yeah, we play Eli and Charlie's sisters, and they're hired assassins in 1851 in the Pacific Northwest. And our boss is this guy, the Commodore, who's this sort of crime boss, um, pretty much unheard in the film. Uh, he's this sort of dark figure who controls us. And what you come to realize is that Eli and Charlie, when they were kids, um, had this abusive alcoholic father that they killed and in order to protect their mother and themselves. And then they're pushed into this life of killing for a living by the Commodore. So when we meet them in the movie, they've already been doing it for years and years and years. So in some way, they're like these broken children in a way. And then, uh, you know, you come to learn the details of the plot of the story, which is that the Commodore has asked us to go find this guy, Herman Warm, who he, who he says has stolen from him. Uh, and then the story gets more complicated from there. Herman Warm has figured out a way to get gold out of rivers without the usual labor involved. Yeah. 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 Riz Ahmed, who plays him, is just a, exactly. a really, really good actor, too. This is, you're, you, it keeps going, and I mean this as a total compliment, uh, to places you don't see coming. Yeah. I think <laughs> really that's one does. of Jacques Odiard's great, you know, if you saw The Prophet or Rust and Bone or The Beat That My Heart Skipped, that Jacques comes from like an editing background and a writing background, so he's always taking, he takes really good care of the audience. Even if things slow down for a second and you're learning something, you never feel like, oh God, where is this going? Jacques is always uh, kind of subverting your assumptions. And every time you think like, oh, there's going to be a big shootout, like something like the, very much the opposite happens. Or, 
you know, he, he has a way of, 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 keeping, uh, of keeping your attention and surprising you throughout all of his movies. Yeah, he really does. And, and I think it's great because the thing is moving. It's up in Oregon. You know, it's California coast. Yeah. It goes to San Francisco in the gold rush years. And where was it shot? We shot in Spain and Romania and France, of course. Of yeah. course, yeah. Well, Spain and Romania and France, right, because... What was the California coast now? Look, if you've you've been to those places, (laughs) you've been to Spain, you've been to Cannes in the south of France, you know, it's startling how much it looks like California and the places where westerns were originally shot. (laughs) So it's not such a stretch geographically. It was also a place that uh, where Jacques was already familiar with um, making films there in Europe, so he could work with his team. And, and you know, once the photographs started to come in from Spain, like these mountain ranges where we shot, and you know, a lot of the spaghetti westerns of the Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood era were shot in Spain also, in southern mm-hmm. Spain, a place called Almeria, where they built these sets in these towns, and now the people who were extras in those spaghetti westerns bought the sets, and they run it as like a place you can go and visit. Like They have a Western show in Spanish. It's a museum? It's kind of a museum. It's more like a sort of a studio tour, but they still use these buildings to shoot movies there all the time. It's kind of great. It's like yeah. old Hollywood, the Spanish version. Yeah, there's something. <laughs> Where you can do all I mean, we it. traffic in a lot of the most wonderful things about Westerns. You know, there's horses and guns and whiskey and... Uh, and chases and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, Jacques is saying something, some really relevant things, I think, about our time and what it means to be a man and what it means to come from, like, a brutal past. And, and he talks about in the film whether it's possible to transform, you know? And I think we're at a tipping point like that in our world right now. Like, what kind of world do we want? And, you know, even though it's, it's told in this... Uh, through the through the you know the lens of this 1851 story, it feels to me really vel- relevant in a lot of different ways, and, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons you liked it. I'm not sure, but um, uh, the well, responses is, we've gotten have been really great and and very timely. Yeah. I think what we're seeing because from the title, <clears throat> and there are laughs in this movie. It's not like there's not. Oh yeah, you know, a lot of laughs. Yeah. There's a lot of things in there that are violent and that are scary mm-hmm. and brutal just like the world that we live in now. Yeah. And your character, Eli, as opposed to Joaquin's character, this guy wants out, doesn't he? He's, he, he's kind of saying, killing people for a living maybe isn't my real vocation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. At a certain point, like, well, yeah, the two brothers have grown up doing this, and they're very good at it, actually. A lot of people misjudge them because they look like these filthy brutes, but they're actually very smart, well-read, and you know, in- intelligent guys. So they're always one jump ahead of the game. So they get this great reputation, and Joaquin's character comes to really embrace the life. You know, he's fed by it. He's got this really violent temper, and he likes to drink. And uh, you know, he's just he's proud of what they do. He's proud of the fact that they're becoming famous for killing people. And his brother Eli, that I play is someone who's like, my main mission in the, in the brotherhood is to sort of protect Charlie. So I'm just as violent as him, but in my mind, I'm doing it to save my brother, you know, to make sure my brother is safe. Um, so, yeah, after a while, like any job, and I can relate to this, maybe you can relate to it yourself, Peter. You do a job long enough, you start to think like, huh, is this the... Is this the last chapter of this book of my life? Like, is this really what it's going to be until, mm-hmm. until I'm, you know, out of the game or whatever? But uh, Eli, and, and it's, uh, the movie's really hopeful and optimistic in this way. It says, like, you know, no matter what you've done, 
you, there's always a chance to transform yourself, and there, there are different ways to approach the future, no matter who you are. And I think, I mean, that's a really timely message, I think, for, for the world that we're in right now. We're, in a lot of ways, we're at a tipping point for a lot of different things. When you started out, what were you thinking when you decided this might be what I want to do? You're from what, Chicago? Chicago, yeah. yeah right. I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I started doing plays when I was a little kid and did that all the way through you know, college. I studied acting at DePaul University in Chicago. And it wasn't until I was done with that, uh, really my last year of school there, that I, I suddenly realized, like, wow, this is not just a fun thing that I like to do. People make a living doing this, you know? <laughs> and I don't think I allowed myself the, that audaciousness of hope, uh, to quote Barack Obama. Like, you know, that, that idea that, like, I can, there's a place for me in this world, you know? Like, I come from the south side of Chicago where I didn't know any professional actors at all. I didn't know anyone in my own life that... So then when I went to acting school, a friend of mine, Kevin J. O'Connor, great actor, and uh, he got this movie called Peggy Sue Got Married with Francis Ford Coppola, mm -hmm. and suddenly I realized, whoa, like, well, a guy from my neighborhood can be in a Kevin movie? Did like, it. Yeah, Kevin did it, so, so maybe there's a chance for me. And like, Luckily, uh, I, got, I got some really great breaks early on. What was your family saying about this? They trying to do an intervention? No, my family, no. my family kept saying, like, well, you know, what's your backup plan? Like, my dad was really keen for me to go into business, and he had a company that he wanted me to be involved in. And then I got my first paycheck for my first movie, and he was like, stick with what you're doing. I, I, think, I think this is good. Because actually, when I first started, I did my first movie, Casualties of War, with Brian De Palma. And when it was over, I suddenly was unemployed. And I remember talking to my dad saying, you know, Dad, I don't know, like the up and down of this life, I'm not sure I'm cut out for the emotional roller coaster of being unemployed and reemployed. And, and I, I said, I think I might go back to doing carpentry for a while. <laughs> and my dad stopped. My dad was a man of few words. He stopped, turned to me, and he said, we have enough carpenters in this family. Stick with what you're doing. And I was like, aye, aye, sir. <laughs> like, that was it. sort of my dad like, telling me, like, don't be a dummy. You got a good thing going here. This is nice work if you can get it, so stick with it. A lot of carpenters, no actors, you know? <laughs> well, I, I, I love carpentry. I'm really proud of the work that all, everyone in my family's done. I got a lot of hardworking, decent people in my family. But my do you dad, do it yourself? My dad saw that paycheck. Yeah, I've done a lot of carpentry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do carpentry, light electric, some plumbing. I don't know if you'd want... Great, so if this doesn't work out... You know, in a pinch. Really well. Like on a desert island, I could build you a shack or something, but I wouldn't... Look, it could come... Don't in, call me first if you need work done, Peter. Let's put it that way. It yeah. comes in handy, you know? It's, it's interesting because whenever I'm talking to actors who are as good as you are, you know, I always say, because what you do, you and Will Ferrell can turn around and do some of the most absurdly, insanely stupid and funny things. <laughs> And then you could turn around and do something that is totally serious. It's yeah. a dramatic kind of thing. While a lot of people get told, you do this really well, so right. just keep making Step Brothers. Yeah, I've been really My lucky. My wife's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> oh, thank you. There's thank just you. something about um, what happens. And the, well, there's the something very real. Absurdity that and, you know, is. this goes back to what you just said, actually. You know, even a movie like Step Brothers, which is a very broad comedy, the, the bones of that movie are very real, serious things between families. You know, like 
what's it like to have a kid that fails to launch out of the house? You know, <laughs> like, what are, what, what's it like when your parents split up? You know, what's the effect on people like? And yes, of course, it happens to these big galoots, you know, <laughs> who are much too old to be going through this stuff. But that's, that's the comedy part of it. But the underpinnings of it are very dramatic. And to me, I mean, if there's a reason I can go back and forth between comedy and drama, it's because I see it all as the same thing. I see it as, you know, the circumstances change, and if the circumstances are absurd, then you're in a comedy, you know? But if, if they're more serious, then you're in a drama. But what I'm doing is that same kind of make-believe that I did when I was eight years old doing plays as a kid. I'm just trying to believe what it is that I've been asked to believe. And then if it's absurd, then, then I'm in a comedy. But um, I try not to decide that for the audience. And my favorite thing when I'm working is, not to let the audience off the hook either way. That if something's funny, just remind them, like, well, but things can get serious in the <laughs> drop of a hat, too, you know. And that, that, to me, I think is a really honest depiction of life. That's the way life is. You know, I've, I've had a lot of laughs at funerals. You know, I have. And I, I've had a lot of kind of bittersweet moments and at times of great joy where you remember someone who's not there with you anymore or something like that. And that's life. You know, that's the truth about life. It kind of goes from happy to sad all the time, back and forth. Is it, is it the same level of difficulty, making a comedy as it is a drama? Is it because no. they always say, you know, comedy, it's hard. It, it's, the, it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think it's because comedy is cruel in that way. Like, if it's not working, it's really apparent. Even on the set that day, if it's not working. If something, if the crew is not, like, holding in their laughter until the, until the director calls cut and people laugh, then, then you know, like, oh, okay, we, you know, the pressure's on. It's exhausting. There's a lot of pressure on the crew. I just felt bad for them now. Oh, you no, know, no, no, Because no. if you're on take 22... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Are they still laughing? But I'm always trying to make the crew laugh. Yeah. I'm like deliberately t saying stuff after after take 22. I'm <laughs> especially trying to keep the crew involved because th that's the audience when you're making a movie. You know, it is. Yeah, yeah. So if it's working and you feel them going, yeah, <clears throat> or even Will, even if you know when Will starts, you can feel him starting to go. That kind of carbonation or effervescence that comes when people are about to laugh, <laughs> but they don't laugh, that's, to me, like the magic of comedy. There's so many moments in Step Brothers where Will and I are like almost <laughs> about to start laughing, you know? That's like the fairy dust of comedy, you know? That's what it's all about. So you and Will are back together again now in... Uh Holmes and, and Watson. Watson. Yeah, we did the Sherlock Holmes story together there in London. I'm taking that this isn't the traditional uh, Sherlock Holmes. Stuff. Well, the world needed to remember this character, Sherlock Holmes. You know, there's not enough adaptations of it done. <laughs> Except everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the English people really needed two Americans to come over there and show them how to portray two of the most beloved characters in English literature. Uh, no, we just... You know, we just saw it was ripe. I mean, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, so it was ripe for, for the pickings, as it were. And uh, and Aton Cohen had a brilliant script. So, yeah, there's that one. We got I have a Stan and Ollie coming out with Steve Coogan, where I play Oliver Hardy. And that comes out. That also. sounds amazing. This oh, is thanks. this is Laurel and Hardy, sort of at the end. Yes, at the very end, uh, their life. They started doing these theatrical tours together in 1953. Uh, they did a tour of England and Ireland and Scotland, and that's sort of the body of our movie or the stories. This kind of uh, this final little run that they did, and um, and then of course we go back to their heyday and stuff like that too. 
But uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a beautiful look at what a partnership's all about. It's very interesting because when you've done a series of Sisters, Brothers Included, where there's a, a lot of characters, but basically this is you and Joaquin, mm -hmm. you know, and it's this relationship. Yeah, that's Laurel really and the Hardy heart of the movie. is another thing. You and Will Ferrell, whether it's the Step Brothers or it's uh, Holmes and Watson, mm -hmm. it's it. What what does what happens during a thing like that? Do you have to work on that relationship when you're working with somebody you haven't before? Well, if you look at my work, I mean, the one great thing about my 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 career is all the variety that I've had. You know, the audience has allowed me to do whatever you know whatever I wanted to try, like unlike some actors, the audience wants you to do the same thing. Audiences love it when I try different stuff, so I'm really lucky in that way. And so, the, but the one through line that you do see over and over is like, I'm, I'm a partner. I'm a yeah. duo, whether it's with Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights or, or Will and Step Brothers or, or Joaquin Phoenix and the Sisters Brothers. I'm just drawn to partnerships. And I, you know, I suppose you could uh, sit me down in a psychiatrist's office. <laughs> yeah, and, that's what and pick that what apart. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I really do. I like losing myself in other people. You know, not only my own character, but the the other actors I'm working with. If you really surrender yourself and you open yourself up, and you sort of suspend your own ego and plug into what someone else is doing. Amazing things can happen because that's really what acting is, is relation, you know, like uh, being in, in collaboration with somebody. That's, what, that's where I do my best work. You know, I've never been like a solo performer for whatever reason. In terms of the four or five movies that you've done that you got the most out of for you, instead mm. of saying what were the best five movies you were right. in, what did you really... What were those movies that took you to another level for you, challenged well, you that way? I mean, this is going to sound annoying maybe, but every movie... I don't mind annoying. It, every movie is a challenge. That's why you take them on. You know, like there's a new... You're trying to do something new and you have to work with a new person. And even if it's the same person, like I did three movies with Paul Anderson, mm -hmm. even with that guy, like you have to reinvent the wheel every time. You have to figure out like, oh, well, that story was that story. Like, what are we doing now? Who am I supposed to be now? And... You know, what, what's your vision for the story? Um, so you know, the truth is, like, everything uh, transforms you. Every time you really commit to a role, it transforms you. That said, from an objective point of view, um, of course, if you look at the, you know, the first movie I did, Casualties of War with Brian De Palma, that's, you know, the, everybody's first is important, and that was certainly huge for me. Um, and then... You know, the movies of Paul Thomas Anderson. Anyone that you work with, you're trying to find a new way of working. And there's definitely benchmarks along the way in my own life, in my personal life. You know, like when I did Chicago the Musical, mm -hmm. that year, was 2003, was this crazy year where, like, you know, I was in three of the best picture, th three of the five best picture nominees. So it was this, just this surreal hours, moment Chicago, in my life. The hours, I remember, Chicago, and what was the third one that year? The, I had four movies come out that year, too, like this year, but uh, the three that were nominated were The Hours, Chicago, and Games of New York. Games of New York, yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely a, a, you know, a moment of, like, you, you just suddenly realize, like, okay, life is definitely changing, you know? But in terms of, like, what I do as an actor, I try to, like, insulate myself from, from changing too much of the way I think about my work based on, like, the 
the what happens outside afterwards. Well, it did you, know? you that year, and you got your first uh, Oscar nomination for Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. how does that change your life? What does it do to you and your head? Well, it's kind of you know, it's ironic. I played this character, Mr. Cellophane, that talks about <laughs> not being seen, and it's like it's really where the 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 business world of Hollywood, anyway, saw me. Really, like, wait a minute. Do it's, I know? It's that guy. I've seen him in all these things. And they, people started to finally put it together as <laughs> I was, the, the fact that I was the same person, you know? Well, this show, and you haven't been here for a while. I've missed you. It's been a little so while. I yeah, I don't know why. I've been, I've been willing. I don't know. It's probably you have people, you know, and they say, no, he's, he's not ready now. But we end in song. That's what we do. Is that what happens here? It ends in song. You've done it before. You've wow. done it with Will. But when you're doing a song with Will, he kind of took it over. I remember the last time. I don't he, even remember that. Yeah, well, I can recall it because <laughs> you started to sing, and he did something that was just it was all him. Oh, you good, know? good. So now it's you. Wow, what, what am I What's the song in your heart? You want to do a little of Mr. Cellophane? Do you remember oh, it? Oh, come on, Cellophane, man. Cellophane, I need the outfit Cellophane. for that. I need the giant no, shoes. I was doing it for you. Look at that. You know that. what I was singing this morning was, Come to me, my melancholy baby. Cuddle up and don't be blue. All your fears are foolish fancies, maybe. You know, honey, I'm in love with you. Anyway, so Frank Sinatra, sweet. Melancholy Baby, so that's a classic sweet. right there. You could have done it with the bar. You could have done it as a drunk. Instead, you did it from your heart. Smile, my <laughs> honey dear, as I wipe away each tear, or else I shall be melancholy too. Oh, John C. Only for you, Peter. I know. I don't want you doing this on another show. Don't fall show. in love with me Don't now. do it. I, I'm feeling it. You know, I've got to control myself. <laughs> That's a great.